This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Welcome to it, The Bounce Show, 26th of October. Ah, uh, 2017. Yep, you can have those annoying office conversations. That there's only so many Thursdays left before Christmas. I do not envy you. Right. So this week we are talking rugby. I've got Mr. JW Kutsia, who is uh, well, he's a return guest. Mr. JW is well. I said it before. He's one of my favourite follows on Twitter, mostly because he's a rugby man through and through. He understands broadcasting. He is a Bulls fan, so he knows what suffering is about. Plus, he's just not a, not a guy who's scared to share opinions. JW, thanks for coming back. Ah, thanks. Good to be back. Thanks. Now, the last time you were here, we had a very in-depth discussion around uh, development in sport, transformation in rugby in particular, and uh, it had a lot of um, great feedback. People seem to not only like the conversation we're having, but you in general. So thank you for making your time available again today. Wow. Um, end of your tour is basically the next thing we need to look forward to from a Smirok perspective, but we've got the Curry Cup this weekend. We've got the Rugby 2023 World Cup bid, which seems to still be in the headlines. We've got, well, Alistair Garcia's year in review. We've got what happened in the rugby championship and, of course, the fixtures ahead for end of year. So there's a basic um, synopsis of what we're going to get through today. Okay, perfect. Um, I, look, I don't ever... Oh, shit, what's that? <laughs> I don't ever have to ask you to kind of prep for something like this because, I mean, it's something that you rattle off on a daily basis. But let's start with um, the rugby championship. So throughout the year, last year, Bok fans were kind of teaching between alcoholism and suicide. It really did get to a, a terrible stage. We saw all the burning jersey videos. I was just getting too much like, safe in their laughters, whatever it was. It was not a good year. This year, however, things turned around. We played, well, some French fodder came over. We made the most of that. Three very, very comprehensive wins, which then were followed up by two pretty good wins against the Argentinians, a team that has obviously derailed the box in, in past. Uh, greater box teams than this one. But then reality kind of came. Oh, I don't know. Maybe reality came home after that. Would you would you say that was a fair kind of synopsis of, of how the year started for the box? Yeah, it started quite encouragingly. It's uh, the first, and compared to last year, the first five games this year was we all thought we up and going, and then that draw in Perth kind of uh, burst our bubble a little. Although now, in retrospect, having seen what Australia have done to New Zealand last weekend, now we know. Maybe those storms weren't that bad, but then again, some shine off that, off that all black game in Cape Town where we ran them close. So yeah. it's, it's all still up in the air. Is this a good year or not? It's. I feel it's better than 2016, but I think the next game, the island game on the end of year, two will decide. Well, I think if the two of us put Bok jerseys on and ran in a forward direction, it could be better than last year. <laughs> to be fair, yes. But it's it's a good point you make up. So people obviously it was a big come down because that Perth game wasn't so much that it was a draw; it was the nature of the draw. Both teams looked very lackluster. Uh, both teams looked like they were literally playing for second place on the rugby championship. They were just, it, it was messy. And then from there, it was a, another, um, shock loss. Well, I say shock loss, but 57-0. People don't forget about that kind of stuff. And after that match, it was like, well, maybe 2016 isn't still, it is still kind of with us. Um, you know, it was going back to the, the, the drawing board, all the other cliches that came with it. But did you feel that, you know, we haven't learned from losses in the past. Did you feel this rugby championship gave us an opportunity to actually physically learn from this? And did the team, in your mind, turn around after that loss? No, they must have. But the difference between that 57-0 game and the, the Cape Town game was just massive. And uh, 
not so much with playing style. We didn't do a lot different other than defend much better. Yeah. Be more patient on defense, not run out of numbers as easily. But in terms of attacking game, in terms of forward game, it was just doing what we do, but more focused and more intense. And, and as you said, the other one was lackluster. In Cape Town, we were really focused and really physical. Um, so, uh, yes, we, we we must have learned. Um, if nothing else, we, we had to set new standards. We had to... From now on, and we will always look back at the Cape Town game and say that is a standard performance. Anything lower than that in terms of energy levels or execution, it's not acceptable. Well, I think that's what I was kind of getting at here. It's just knowing what this team is capable of. So, again, 2016, we thought, well, this is just dreadful. Rugby's on on the slide. We're in the toilets here. But that game in Cape Town showed what we're capable of. And Brendan Fenter, who's been quite outspoken this year, he's made quite a name for himself on social media because, I mean, he's he's blocking everyone left, right, and center. He said it wasn't particularly a bad performance. It just got out of hand against the All Blacks. And this team isn't so much – it's still a great side. And it was almost like he was alluding to the fact that on another night, this could have been very, very different with very little difference in playing performance. As you say, Cape Town, same team, same kind of attack, just a far more resolute defense, a lot more structure. And suddenly it was a one-point game rather than a 57-point game. You know, again, then drawing into what the Aussies did with the, with the All Blacks, maybe this team deserves a bit more credit. And um, just, again, you keep looking at these big losses and think, well, this team isn't, isn't really coming anywhere. Going forward for this end-of-year tour now, what in your mind needs to kind of be solidified? You spoke about energy levels and having this as a, as a great bar of where we are. But going forward for this end-of-year tour, what for you are the, are the key takeouts of what this team should be looking to achieve? I think the, the, the big thing with the Springbok team, uh, other than uh, or when you measure them against the All Blacks and Australians especially, is we playing at 75%. Those guys are close to as good as they can be on, on a good Saturday. And we there's a lot to fix about the Springboks at this stage, and we're already competitive. So it's good looking forward. But when you say 75, I mean, are we talking general fitness here or the, the, only have the ability to, is there a handbrake in general that only means no 75? I think we can definitely do better with selections. We can definitely do better with uh, defensive structure at this stage. Um, turning, you know, the transitional play between attack and defense, we're still sluggish compared to the other guys. And those are coachable things. Um, we can train them. We can get better at it. It's, uh, the game plan is starting, the attacking game is starting to settle now. We're starting to understand what it is. We're getting width on the ball. We're getting, you know, we're punching in the middle. Um, but what we need is to take that further step now. Uh, I'm excited about some of the youngsters in the Curry Cup that came through this year, especially the, the, the outside backs. I, th- I thought we lacked punch there in the, in the rugby championship. Definitely. We lacked um, punch, but we had continuity. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes kind of continuity isn't the best thing. Um, but yeah, they, we, the, the good thing there is talent coming through there. And now that we are getting the ball wide um, more often than we used to in the past, let's just get guys that can punish people there. So would it be a fair comment to say, and too, I, mean, look, I believe too many bot coaches in the past have said, look, it's a bit of a process, we need to be patient. Are we, should we be patient on what's, what we've seen so far this year? Like you said, things are coming together. Brendan Fenter says this won't be overnight. This is a process. Alice Goodsear talks about processes. Can we believe it when they say it this time? Um, every, every coach that loses says that. It's, there's never been a coach that said, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm taking this team down the dumps. It's, um, and then all of them do the same thing and say, but look at the All Blacks and they got all this continuity. There. But it's easy to, to have continuity when you're winning. Exactly. It's, it's when you're losing. What do you do then? You can't still, I, I need experience in certain positions and I want I want certain combinations to play together. Those are favorites of Alistair to always say. But if it's not working, it's work, it's not working. And they, just banging your head against the same rock the whole time, if it's not working, make a plan. And I think uh, this year we've uh, 
changed quite a bit. The, uh, the narrative at the start of the season was a lot about the lion spine, as they call it, the hook, uh, 5, 8, 9, 10, 15, and now are we going to build on their success? And, and then when that started falling apart in Australia, uh, they're not as enthusiastic about that idea now. The, so what do they do from here? I think they, they've come around to the thing that you have to have the best player in, in, a, yeah. in every single position, regardless of where he comes from, and that you also can form partnerships at that level. You don't have to take existing partnerships from lower levels and bring them up. Sometimes you can do that. Um, some guys are just natural fits for each other. But uh, it's not always necessary. And, and, and once, we, once we, I think this end of year tour, we'll see it doesn't really matter where guys come from. Form will be rewarded, I hope. Um, and youth will be rewarded, as it normally is after a Curry Cup season, without throwing away what worked for us uh, during the year. Sure. It's just uh, what I'd like to see is the outside backs, uh, that midfield midfield partnership that wasn't working always. Um, maybe the the 19 combination just sharpen up a little, if if not, bringing Andre and just make that big call now. Um, as I say, there's a lot to be fixed, and they're fixable things. Um, we just want to see them fixed now. It's not about being patient anymore. It's not about just, yeah. it's a process anymore. If it's a process, show us progress. Otherwise, that process isn't working. Show us different elements of the plan. Because another thing from that, we're using this now as our, as our benchmark match, that All Black versus Springbok match in Cape Town, is that the forwards that day won. I don't care who, which way you look at the game, the Springbok forwards dominated that day, and they were incredible. It got to the backs, and then the All Blacks managed to get back into the match a lot. So talk, we spoke about the spine, and we spoke about you saying maybe selections can increase. It's, it's almost like I feel like it's the worst place to blood new backs is in the Northern Hemisphere, heavier conditions, a lot more technical, tactical kind of stuff. Would you say that it would be better to maybe make some b- bigger calls early season for the box? In, at home or is it screw it we, there's no luxury in timing if the guys need to change they change right now yeah no end of year tour is normally when we blood players I know it's maybe a little more difficult but it's got to do with injury a lot of the time uh, and, and and after Cody Cup I know that's where we got Brian O'Banner and you know a lot of our great backs they were blooded as youngsters in Europe in tough conditions um, sink or swim it's, it's one of those things at the international level there's other than those first couple of opening tests in the year, it is never going to be easy matches. It's sure. never a place that you can feel, okay, now we can put our worst players on the field and they'll still survive. Um, if you want to play at that level, you have to be able to cope with it. And, yeah, bring him in, whether it's raining or sunshine, doesn't matter. Yeah, you mentioned Andre Pollard. Of course, that'll be something that people are always going to argue because Elton Junchies was such an amazing super rapey player because he put a lot of good seasons together for the Lions and he was a major part of that success of that team the last two years. Internationally, well, it's, I wouldn't call him a JP Dumini. Okay, let's go with it. Let's go with JP Dumini. You know, there's, there's class there, but it comes to these big, um, big matches and he's just, he's, he's not performing as much as we would hope for. Is it time that, um, Andre Pollard was given a lot more time or do you believe in this whole process theory that there's still time for Elton to really prove himself? No, Elton's, a, Elton is a out and out case of he's playing the wrong game plan. He's comfortable at the lines, playing a flat game, taking it and playing op- options off himself. And at the spring box, you have to be behind the, the forward parts. So when he gets it, he's very deep and he's got a lot of time. And he's one of those players that, well, when given too much time, he tends to overthink things. Yeah, and go lateral. So the moment he's at the lines, he has to run straight at that vantage line, get it there, make a split-second decision, and he's really, really good with that. But at the box, that's never going to happen. So um, we've given him enough time, seeing if he can settle in that deeper game. 
and he doesn't seem to be able to do that. It's, uh, it's not half the player is. But it just seems odd, though. As you could see, obviously, you'd think all the coaches at B, the selectors, would notice this kind of stuff. Yeah, or, I mean, or is it just, again, hoping for the best because, you know, let's just keep trying with continuity? Yeah, I think it's also a case of you want to show faith in the players that you have. Yeah. Um, and that's often a problem for players or for coaches is they're getting too loyal. Uh, and, and in this case, it might be one of those things again. He's just showing too much loyalty in the guy. Did um, Sometimes you have to make the tough calls. He is our best super rugby fly-off, but at international level, he's not cutting it. And uh, make that call. Well, Andre Pollard, um, he definitely is a guy that can run to the line. He's the big burly dude. And he showed that just in that sort of 10, 15 minutes against the All Blacks in Cape Town, again, we're using this game as a big reference here, there was impetus there. There was forwards fighting for the ball, retaining the ball, and he would give that go forward. I just think that um, it's injuries aside, this guy is going to be the future. But then what do you do at scrum off? Because, again, you're working on, the, on these, these combinations. But every scrum off we seem to be putting in the box setup seems to have the two-step then pass strategy. Is it, again, another chance of trying to have a, a combination? Is Rudy Page going to be his combination as they're both Bulls players? Or is it, again, taking a slightly more left-field approach now? I think in scrum off, um, while it's vital... Um we have to, with time, before the next World Cup, we have to make a call now which player that we have um, has the basic skill set there and, and then has the most potential. A guy like Ross Cunier, great player as he is, is never going to play any better than he's playing now. Yeah. Um, same thing with Rudy Page. I'm sorry. Yeah, if, it's, sorry it's, if it's a good it's point. Honest, I, I feel a lot of that happening in the back line. Mm. Whereas uh, if you take a youngster like uh, Ivan from Sal from the Bulls or, or even just give Louis Schroeder a shot there because he's got probably the best pass in the country at the moment and then just make them grow into that role. Um, we did it with our past two great flowers. We, we put them in as youngsters there when they were unproven at provincial level, and both of them made that step up. We have to do it again, I think. Yeah, that's a very good point, that. Okay, so just looking, the the, the Bok team is going to be announced this weekend after the Curry Cup final. It's a day after. It's uh, normally after the match, but it'll be the day after this time around. Yes. Okay. So just just looking at the backs, because I, I think, again, you know, our forward stocks are pretty good. Um, we've got guys like Francois Lowe who will obviously bolster that from international perspective. What would be the sort of the, the key inclusions that you're looking for, or what's to say, would you be surprised if you didn't see some some of these fresh faces in the box uh, squad this weekend? Um, I'm gonna my my call. What I want to see is as the outside backs, as I mentioned earlier, being bolstered and bolstered by really class, potentially great players. Well, again, like you say, you're taking these great skill sets, let them develop with those. Yes. So uh, the the guys I'm looking at would be Wari Kalant from the Bulls. Um, yeah. It's just potentially such a great player, and and just make him live and learn there. Don't, don't, don't keep him at provincial level and let him learn bad habits and, and have his confidence broken. Yeah. Make him great. Um, the Sharks have two great players in Lukanya Arm and uh, Sabun Corsi, the, the big Jonah Lomo of South African rugby we've got there now. Um, he's unfortunately dislocated his elbow, if I'm not mistaken, over the weekend. Yeah, over the weekend. Which is a, final. Yeah, which is a – but it's a weird injury. I know. I remember Stefan de Blanche back in the day doing the same thing, dislocating and then playing the next week. So uh, maybe he's still in, in the running for a box team. I certainly hope so. The sooner we get those type of guys in the team, uh, get them to settle around the camp, let them start fighting, get that internal squad competition going, the better yeah. for us. And just the belief of, like, this is the level where you belong. For so long, I think you can be overlooked, and then you realize that, like, okay, Curry Cup, as you say, you get into bad habits. You become just good enough for this level, and then you will stagnate. Um, so... Like obviously the, the cheetahs right now are playing a very sort of different game. They're playing that pro fourteen thing, so they're away from curry cup action. Any of the guys there that you feel that this this platform has really like helped out in order to make a cause for the Bok jersey? Yeah, the cheetahs not really. No, it's um, 
a lot of players that are just above Pro 14 level. So when once they get comfortable and they showed that with that run they had at home, that they 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 well, more than good enough to play Pro 14 at least. So, sure. but there's a, no one at the Cheetahs that really stands out as a potential world great. You got you got guys like uh, uh, Captain Swayze who's uh, he can fill a he can fill a role when you when you're running out of numbers uh, in the Springboks squad, but he's never going to be a great and he's never going to be a regular starter. Yeah, uh, and and the the whole team is like that. Um, I think Raymond Rule shown shown us that you know at international level when he has guys that can match his pace and and his size, um, then he gets scored in terms of skills. Um, so I would hope to see. That the cheetahs for once with pro fourteen in European in European rugby now being a regular thing for them, that they start retaining their squad, mm. and then once they have that base squad going, they'll have a lot of young talent coming through, having having to play that second team in K Cup, and so it's uh, at the moment not great talent there, well not world class talent there, but it'll come. No, it's, it's a good point, and you know you, you're touching on it a few times here. It's about. Like saying, look, we need to be the best. We need to be that game against the All-Backs all the time. What kind of players is going to hold positions and do it satisfactorily? We need someone who's really, really on the next level. Which brings us to the captaincy issue. Some people think it's an issue. I'm I'm okay with it, really. Um, Warren Whiteley is still with that problematic pelvis, groin area, which is some people are saying is because of these Japanese off-seasons, whatever it may be, players get injured. We're not going to go into the science of that. It just happens. Even Elizabeth is being retained. Some people believe that Sia Kulisi going into the World Cup should be a better call. Do you think, again, this is anything we should really worry about, or is it just we're bitching for the sake of bitching? I'm, I'm very much a Sia Kulisi fan when it comes to captaincy. That is just an amazing guy. And uh, you can see it when you see the guys play and the way the players react to him. And when they're on the field and they go for scrum, it's not Yevon. Yevon binds and, and sets in, but Sia goes and taps, it, taps all the players, shout to them. So he's already pretty much the leader there. And it helps that him and Eben are very good friends. Mm. So they bounce off each other and they have a lot of respect for each other. But I think they missed a chance with Sia there. I think going forward, once again, if you say someone has the potential to be a Springbok captain, Sia has the potential to be that and be more. He's can, he can be a great Springbok captain. Oh, you always well, feel like the responsibility will raise his game. Yes. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and in certain ways it did. He's, he's a far better player this year at international level than he was last year. And it's just that extra responsibility. He seems to thrive on it. Give him a chance. Why not? Yeah, interesting call. Look, I think Ibn Esbeth hasn't particularly done anything wrong. Again, he was in charge of the 57-0 thrashing, and people on the back of that were saying, well, look, you know, there was a lot of heads hanging down underneath the post. But when you're getting it, you're getting a thrashing, you're getting a thrashing. I mean, I'm not too sure what a captain's going to say other than, Oaks, would you please tackle? It would be nice. Get in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, all in all, it, it is a decent squad. It's looking good. Of course, the fixtures for the end of year are Ireland. That will be the first match. And then it's France, fourth time this year. Then Italy, then Wales. Now, I know that a lot goes into this whole scheduling thing. And uh, when I look at that list, I go, well, okay, we're playing Ireland. I guess that's the highlight because Wales are Wales. Italy, I know we lost them last time around. So it'd be great to get some revenge. Although... That seemed like a petty squabble to me. And France, we played them. So it's not a very inspiring end-of-year tour. Do you know like the, the insides of how this happens? Because, again, England and New Zealand don't play. I mean, New Zealand's, I mean, New Zealand's schedule list is really piss poor. They play Argentina. They played Argentina three times already this year, which is essentially during the Lions tour. So it was their B team that played them. They're playing Australia and Samoa. There's hardly a blockbuster end-of-year for England at Twickenham. New Zealand, they're playing the Barbarians. That just sounds like a money match to me. They're playing France, they're playing Scotland, they're playing Wales. So 
it doesn't seem like a very inspiring kind of end to the year fixture wise here. It does world rugby literally rotate this on a very sort of, um, fair is fair option or are they logistically matching teams for teams? I think what it is, it's an invitation from, from other teams. If you're not invited, then you can't go. And so, so do, do teams like, does, do Ireland say, well, look, oh, we would like to play these teams? It, does, it, does it start like that? Yes. We, okay. we've, got, we've got three weekends or four weekends in November that we want to host. Uh, who's, who's the available options that we have? Um, who can tour? And then you, you actually try and invite the guys to come over. And in this case, the disappointing thing with England is they didn't want either us or New Zealand there. I don't know if they want this to be a building area and a, or building time in their in the, in the season and going forward into the World Cup. Um, where they want to build confidence rather than be See, you know, tested. I, I was thinking that, but as I was thinking that, I was thinking, well, this is just going to sound like I'm a conspiracy theorist, but it, that does sound strange. Like they wouldn't want them right now. I, I, I can't understand why not. Because I've also, I've also heard a side story that New Zealand wanted too much of the gate money. As, as in they wanted a 50-50 split for a sold-out Twickenham for the match that every rugby player in the world wants to see and has wanted to see for two years now. Yes, and New Zealand, they don't care. If it's a full-out Twickenham or wherever they fill out stadiums, they will fill out stadiums. So for them, they don't worry about that, whether they play England or not. It's England that would want this. But yes, that money story sounds like it could be, could be something worth investigating at least. It's just a real shame because like, you have to have best versus the best. And I remember when these end-of-year tours were England would play literally the Tri-Nations teams back in the day. They would play Australia, South Africa, New Zealand. And it was such a great series of, of fixtures because – Ultimately, the Palmers got stuffed by by the strong South, uh, South, Southern Hemisphere teams. But now it's like this shit show of Samoa and Argentina. I mean, Australia, it's just, it, I, if I was an English fan, I would not be happy with this. But again, as you say, there's, there's more choice behind this than we think. Hmm. Well, what, what do you do if you're an England fan? You, you have to take it up with the IFU, take it up with your club, and your club takes it to them. Um, yes, I would also not be happy. And what we're seeing less of nowadays is also the Grand Slam tours by the the Southern Hemisphere teams who try and win all the Six Nations teams. And, uh, exactly. That was a real feature. <coughs> it seems to be gone, um, which is great is the pity. We don't want to see inferior games where you know what the result's going to be beforehand. And it's just a run out for England, really. They just bag the three wins. They're not going to learn much about themselves. They're not going to entertain much, are they? So, it's a real shame. I think barbarian teams playing top-class international, also, I think it's almost like a waste of a weekend. I mean, they should be playing countries like Argentina or like seventh or eighth rank down. Yeah. They should be playing against Fiji. You know, give one of the South Sea Islanders a good go at a good stadium with a barbarians team. Anyways, um, we need to talk Curry Cup. Now, again, same old, same old. Everyone talks about Curry Cup being the secondary event. It's a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. It needs to be reshaped. I even saw banter on the weekend about the fact that there shouldn't even be a semi-final. Yeah, it's, it's a point I don't understand. It's, I, uh, I, I don't get this either because people keep forgetting sport is entertainment. Yeah, and the, the, I'll, I'll tell you what the thinking about that is. <laughs> the thinking of behind that is there are only seven teams and then you, when the semi-finals come, you only cut three. So, you know, you still have four of the seven left. So the, the thinking behind it, what they're trying to say is that it's not really a measure of, of excellence. So to have made that semi-final just means you went in the, in the bottom three. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't matter. It's always been thus. A semi-final is a stock standard feature in sport throughout the world. Um, the counter-argument would not be not to have semi-finals. It would be to have a bigger Curry Cup, but we've been there. You know, and then, then it's really, if you have weaker teams in there, it, it brings the whole product down. So yeah. I'm happy with the format as is. And then 
I also saw that quieten down after after the weekend, after two entertaining semifinals. Exactly, two very good semifinals. But other people said, well, it was the top two teams in the finals, so what's the point of the semis? But again, people just, just they stop forgetting that this entertainment. This is what this is why sponsors put money into events because they want semi-final, final weekend. That's good exposure for their brands. Without the sponsors, there's no tournament. Correct, and if it wasn't a semi-final, they wouldn't have watched. That's it. It's a knockout yeah. game. A knockout game. Add spice. It's entertainment. It should be there. I like it. Well, it is, and it is the two best teams. So I kind of feel like in past years, you've always had one team that dominates. It was the Cheetahs before they had to then play another tournament. Uh, the Sharks have taken up that role now. They've only lost twice this year in uh, regulation play, but their last win kind of, um, you got to concede the fact that they're already qualified for a home semi. I don't know if they were completely focused, although you should always put your best into the field. Sharks versus Province. Uh, some interesting backline kind of uh, matchups here. But again, it's it's nice to see that there is some exciting talent come up. You mentioned a few names that can be sort of thought about for the Bok to interview a tour. But are we then getting ahead of ourselves again and thinking, well, we've seen it in domestic cricket. A guy can take loads of wickets, score loads of runs, plays the pro tiers, bugger all. Because the level, the gap in level between a curry cup or domestic cricket in this respect is so much inferior to international level. Do you find that's a bit harsh on the guys who are putting their sort of um, bodies in the line week in, week out? No, not really. Um, it's just the reality of international sport, that. Um, and you can't say unless you put them to or, or lift them to a higher level whether they'll make it or not. That's why I think it shouldn't be necessarily uh, who has played the best for the longest period, let's reward him. Let's call it a Vernon Philander selection. Um, it can work sometimes, but, but then you do the uh, what they've done now with Mulder and with... Uh, Mocked him at, uh, in the cricket side. The guy gets chosen on potential, and you make you make him learn the skills to survive at international level, yeah. at international level, within learn, the structure where they can live and against the best from the best coaches. And and certain players just should get that treatment. And the names I mentioned earlier, there's a couple more. Um, pull them in, make them part of the squad, make them start dream, make them bring some energy in there. Why not? If you're not going to bowl, you achieve nothing in life. Not going to be bold, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, just getting to the actual nuts and bolts of it. Is it going to be a pretty straightforward Sharks win? This? Not straightforward, but I mean they're very much overwhelming favorites. Um, it's going to be an interesting match again. The, the thing the Sharks had going for them all season was that juggernaut scrum of theirs. Nobody could take it on. And uh, the province, province front row can actually live with them. And the Thomas Dutoy was destructive, but so is Wilco Lowe. So you've got yeah. that clash there. And if the Sharks can get the upper hand there, I can't see them lose because they play a very conservative game behind that, that monster pack. But Province can actually live with them then, and then if they do, if it's parity up front, I would actually rate the, the Western Province backline to to, to be, get the better of that game. All right. Now, obviously, with the Lions, they had their stars coming back. They used them off the bench. Uh, Swayce was doing something of the week in the, around the front row, and it backfired terribly. I see Province haven't utilized their box. Is this going to be – I mean, is there a reason behind this? Is it a contractual thing? Is it a management thing? Yeah, no, it's simply contract, contract. Uh, contracted box can't play. Um, what is strange is that a guy like Sinatla could play because he's actually also contracted, if not with the Springboks, then with Springbok 7. So it, it seems to have been kind of selective um, from SA Rugby side. They didn't want the, the real stars, they, they core players to play, and mostly they managed not to do that. Um, coming back to the Lions game and Swiss, what he, what he did there, uh, it's the old Dick trick, isn't it? it Changed his lineup three times just before kickoff. I mean, his own players didn't know whether they're playing or not, and and you don't achieve anything with it. You certainly don't scare opponents trying to do that. All you're showing is weakness. You're saying I don't know what I'm doing. 
I don't know what my best team is. And, you know, you kill your own confidence. I don't know why they did that. And then in his mind, he thought it's going to be a masterstroke bringing in that, that, that bench so early, that, that front row, and all of it backfired. And where a stock standard game could have worked. Yeah, exactly. Um, just on, on the whole thing about Western Province, and again, selective contractual kind of thing, Damien D'Anneli hasn't played that much this season. When he has, he looked it looked a bit rough, a bit rusty. He got sent off against the All Blacks for what has been deemed just careless, nothing more than that. Province have got a centre problem, and he's not playing. I don't think they have a problem. I think Hugh Jones is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but Yves um, Filion's injured. He is, yes. But, so he's out. But now they've got Dan Krulback who can also play in centre, and uh, you can always bring in Ron Nolt to centre. They're, they're fine. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, you, you want a guy that's going to be in the box squad, not just, you know, you put in cobwebs and that kind of stuff. Is this not an opportunity for, again, just some logic to come through here and say, you haven't played much this season. You've had your injury concerns. So, I mean, you've been off both reasons. Now you've been contracted out of actual game time, which could serve your purpose. I mean, again, like who would it essentially make that call? Is it all Saru or is it the union itself at Western Province? I think the Springbok management makes that call. And and in this case, it could be his common sense would say, let's make him play. Um, but then he was starting to make exceptions, and they don't want to be seen to make exceptions with their core contracted players. <clears throat> could Damien have played? Uh, yes. Um, will he have added something? I don't know. I don't know if he's that much better than the guys they've got there. At this well, stage. there's also that. I mean, there's, there's very much that point as well. Some would argue that he isn't. Right, we need to just talk about Rugby 2023. So we all know that... Um, for some strange reason, um, or maybe it's not so many strange reasons, South Africa had a fantastic World Cup in 1995, and we are now sitting here at 2017 hoping we can somehow have it again in 2023. Since then, New Zealand's had it twice. Sorry, they've had it again because they've had it twice in total. England, they seem to have all these events all the time and lose track of this kind of stuff. Uh, Australia, of course, they've been in the mix more than South Africa. So it just seems strange. Like, why would a team that's got everything going for it not have this again? So this time around, they're up against Ireland. Ireland, of course, never had this tournament, so there's that cause. Um, that was up against, was it France? Yes. France, of course, they've had it twice, essentially. They've, they've co-shared, but they've also hosted outright. Mm. So that's the season opposition they're up against. Um, much was made about the bid that happened. Uh, Sora Ramaphosa went there, although I think adding politics to sports never a good idea, but you know, you've got to have a presidential figure. And by all means, this bid went really, really well. So much so, they've now they've released a heartfelt, I'm going to play this for you, a heartfelt emotional video around this. Got to love it. Uh, people were making big noise about it on, on Twitter recently. And um, b- before I even saw it, I could tell you that there was going to be kids running around in unison in kind of impoverished areas. You're going to see a lot of wildlife. You're going to see the big five. You're going to see sweeping landscapes. And you're going to see a Madiba reference. I, I think I got a full house. I really did. So here it is, opens off in a township. It's the emotive background music. Sweeping landscape. Yeah, there we go. Elephant. Lovely. A man that appears to have murdered a leopard. And it goes on to then show more of this beautiful country, the box playing, animals fighting each other. Very emotive. Flags. We do well with flags. It's 
small kids because this is what it's about. It's about getting the next generation. And there's Madiba. Uh, the 95 final has to be there. Oh, yeah. And there's MP. I mean, look, I don't want to sound like a cynical prick here, but it's almost like it's just so predictable. It's so, so predictable. Does Do you think World Rugby falls for this or cares too much about this? Because the story's being told. Um, you know, when this all happened, I read an article about the fact that it's, it's, we can't keep playing this Madiba card as bullshit because the ANC has ruined this country to the point where we're laughing stock overseas now. We used to be able to say South Africa and people would give you a thumbs up and they go, oh, Madiba, what a beautiful country. Now they go, oh, your, your president's a criminal. Should, should this be like the route? I mean, they're not crying in the anthem. Like, do you reckon this is going to sell world rugby on giving in the bid to South Africa? Um, as you say, this is the stock standard way that South African tourism operates. You always show those type of things and then, uh, playing all the emotional cards. There's nothing, nothing unpredictable about it. As you say, you've got a full house before without even watching. Um, whether it's very honest, I don't know. I don't see any guys around a bribe of brandy and coke in the hand there. I Still not, see, no. I don't see empty dams in Cape Town, you know, those type of things. But I suppose that's not how you sell. Hmm. So it's, it's not what, what is an honest, what is an honest version of what your country looks like right now? It's what what they hope, what they what they think it could be like. Um, uh, the, the reason I bring it up on, in this tone is like, what are our expectations basically? Because Ireland are going to go in their first world, France are going to go in their first world, and they've got all their different things. Personally, cock and block, I still believe this is the best country to host a rugby world cup, as it is a cricket world cup because of infrastructure, culture, yeah. and it's just a great place to be around and have beers and brandy and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm sold. I'm just thinking from from like a world perspective. I don't, I don't think Ireland is a very good call. They've never done this type of things. They don't have, um, they're going to have to convert a lot of football stadiums and, and Gaelic football stadiums into, into rugby hosting venues. Um, I know, for example, that, uh, hotels are, I think almost 90% full for the South Africa match. And that's just one game. What about, one that? Game. what about having to host four uh, on a, on a Saturday? It's where, where they're going to find the space. They, we technically, our bit is just so much superior. But uh, I've I've heard about their video, and apparently they got all their big actors. They got uh, Westlife's in there, no doubt. Liam Neeson in there, and, and all staying in America, and can't even speak with Irish accents anymore. <laughs> but they, yeah, they got a, a very professional video. Um, but it's not about videos; it's about what can we actually do. What's the fan experience? And I think uh, the the big strength of our bid is the rand. Sorry, you can spend so much more here, have a much better time for the same amount of money, and and be unique. It's nothing for Europeans to go travel to Europe. Uh, Irish fans to go to France, they do it often. French fans to go to the UK, it's, it's a very – whereas anybody coming to Africa is always going to be special. Um, I think we have a good chance. I think Ireland did maybe a little better at pulling at the emotional strings than we did. But um, I think if they're going to sit down and make – you don't want to give it to France again. They had it just the other day. Yeah. So it's going to be between us and Ireland. And then I think we got the technically far superior bit. Okay. I agree with everything you just said. And if it were down on it, I would vote SA. Let's go with that. Best place to do it. Now, um, SA Rugby has some controversial videos from time to time with a guy called Ryan Frieder. Um, I'm sure you, you're very good friends with him. Yes, good friend of mine. Now, what I like about Ryan, and um, I mean, I like a variety of people online, mostly because like, I got into sport purely because I was a fan with a phone. So I've learned from a variety of people. And I, I, I believe in contrast. What Ryan seems to always do, I don't know if this is an intentional thing or he's just quite a contrary individual. Anyway, I, I, I like his stuff because he'll find the popular opinion and he will like, 
he'll piss on it to the extent where people get angry, get really, really angry. You should see the comments of the video I'm about to play for you now. But what I do like about it is that everything we've discussed now, we're in agreement here. But what are the counter thoughts to that? And I think this video provides quite a few counter thoughts on why SA shouldn't host the Rugby 2023 World Cup. Damn, this is going to set the trolls off again. I worked at Newlands during the 1995 World Cup. The job paid peanuts, but as a rugby mad kid, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. I've been to major tournaments across various codes, but that World Cup remains the single most memorable sporting event I've ever been to. But I don't want to relive it, and here's why. One, you can't recreate the unifying effect that tournament had. Those arguing for the tournament on those grounds are deeply optimistic. The socio-political landscape was right for it to happen at the time. It isn't now. You can't plant oak seeds in gravel and expect it to grow. Two, it's a slap in the face to the poor. There's something fundamentally wrong and grotesque about hosting a tournament that 70 to 80% of your population are excluded from attending because of ticket prices. Now got the rich and entitled douches sitting up and listening. The suits will spin some bullshit about affordable tickets being made available to the public, but that's all a ruse. Already people are being priced out of the market, the vast majority of South African rugby supporters. How much more so in 2023? Three, you don't entrust treasures to clowns. It'd be criminal of world rugby to reward a country whose game is crippled by administrative dysfunction and clear incompetence with a game showpiece tournament. SA Rugby and its provincial affiliates struggle to function at even a base expectation for professional businesses. Imagine the mess they'd make with the cash injection they'd get from a tournament of this nature. It'd be like giving the keys of a Bugatti to a drunkard. I could list 15 to 20 reasons why this tournament shouldn't happen, but I think my point is clear. Just don't do it. Okay, so, well, look, a lot of people will be against it because you, you can't talk against popular vote in this country. People do, I mean, even if your rights are wrong, they'll shout you down online. Um, Ryan's point there about number three, basically about rewarding just dreadful um, ineptness and in administration, that kind of stuff. I believe he's got an argument in there. But my counter to that would be, it's like, okay, we know things haven't been going so great here. Like the whole circus to the, like, treasure to the clowns thing. Cool, I agree with you there. But do you think that events, I mean, we're not going to make a lot of progress unless we have events like the World Cup. So, you know, we, we can take this this moral high horse of, of, of view, like we don't deserve it. But we'd also like looking at a gift horse in the mouth by saying, well, all this money that could be coming in. I mean, we can't be that negative, can we? No, 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 we can't at all. Um, as, okay, let's, let's, let's discuss that point of view that we are apparently so inept administratively. Um, no, we are not. We are one of the best hosts in world rugby. I was at Cape Town Sevens last year, where the, the world rugby representative told me Hong Kong has nothing on Cape Town. No, no, no I, I, I get that point. I think what he's alluding to is the fact that there's been so much mismanagement and so much political bungling of rugby in general in this country that that shouldn't be rewarded. I think that's the point he's going not, for. Not when we host. We are actually very professional hosts. Um, I was down in Cape Town. He says he's got memories from Newlands. He wasn't. How can he? He can't say. You know, I, the, they really bungled up everything. In a why, why wasn't he there? If you were there and they did something wrong, then you know, complain about it then. Don't sit on your high horse, not be at the places and, and tell us what to think of what happened in the places. No, go. go right. Come to Sevens, tell me we can't, we can't host. Go to Sevens, tell me I, I administer too bad we are. Then listen, we've got problems. We, there are problems. But that does not mean you have to take ec possible economic uh, decisions, uh, things that can bring in a lot of money to our country and use that to, to somehow force them not to make mistakes again 
or to use that to punish them, you know, we'll, we'll take it away. It's not up to World Rugby to punish or to discipline bad administration. Yeah, see, like, ultimately, I'm more inclined to what you're saying here is that, if, okay, you know, try to punish someone on a moral level, where's where that going to get us? It's a slippery slope, but it's always good to get counter opinions here. Anyway, we are running out of time. Um, Mania, bye, thank you for your time again. Your, your insights and views are right down the middle and, uh, pretty solid. And that's something I always think when you see sensationalism and people losing their minds, I always like to go into your tweets because you kind of hit the nail on the head a lot of the time. And, um, Look, I, I just think there is a lot to be positive still. And as you say, you know, maybe we shouldn't look at all the negatives and try to find a story. This whole thing with administrators bungling stuff. We do pretty well with the sevens. We've done pretty well with every time we host something. I think if we go out of Sanzar, the rest of them are screwed. Um, yeah, that's true. What is also if, that. If we go up to Europe, um, yeah, the New Zealanders and Australians can't, that, that, that Bledisloe Cup game that was so amazing didn't have a million viewers over the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, that they don't have a big game. So that is definitely true. Um, and I want to, if you don't mind, I just want to get back to the last point because I think that's, that's, uh, quite important. I'm in saying that ticket prices are too high and that, it, that it's unfair on poor people not to be able to attend. Well, all sport work like that. Yeah, I, d- I didn't even bother acknowledging that uh, because that is a world event. Yeah. I mean, and all sport, you please tell Arsenal fans that the poor Arsenal yeah. fans can't go watch. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. If it's popular enough, then you can pay. It's entertainment. You pay for it. It's a, it's a global event. Mm. It's not a high school rugby match. Correct. Um, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to cut it off there, actually. That was our rugby chats. Um, on Twitter, at JWKutzia. That's where you'll find my esteemed guest today. Otherwise, um, where else can we find your work online? I'm working most most of my writings on supersport.com. Uh, it'll pick up a little end of year. We do live blogs for all the major events, and then my okay. regular column will kick in with Super Rugby starts. All right, Super Rugby. It's already kind of around the corner. Well, not really, but essentially. Uh, this week, I am in Rwanda. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Follow the Bounce, I'm going to Rwanda for a cricket trip of all cricket trips. So I don't know if you know too much about Rwanda, but back in the 90s, there was, well, there was some genocides in the go there. And it's not particularly a nice topic of conversation, but the country has come a long way since then. Uh, more than a million people were massacred for some sort of tribal beliefs that, I mean, I don't want to get into. That was the, the nuts and bolts of it. The Hutus and the Tutsis uh, didn't see eye to eye, but cricket is kind of repairing some bonds. So what is happening in Rwanda right now, just outside of Kigali, where I'm going? Uh, they've created this world-class cricket facility. It really is quite something. And there's an entire week of festivities around this, then culminating in these, in a celebrity match with some international cricketers. So I'm going to be involved in that match. If you follow me on social media, I'll update you as much as I can. And then this time next week, for the Bounce Show itself, I'll get into my, my time there. Very, very interesting time. Great opportunity for me to get out there and see more of the African continent, of course, and how great sport can be to places that, that need it, which I believe is everywhere. That's pretty much it. Um. Yeah. Go Province. I'm still a Province fan deep down. Although, go, go Sharks. If I can find, yeah, it's just because they beat the Bulls. If I can find a place to watch the game in Kigali, I, that in itself will make my year. Well, enjoy. Let's let's be, hope you best of luck there. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Catch you back in the Bounce Show next week. Otherwise, next week as well. Back to business with the Gareth Cliff Show here on CliffCentral.com. Six until nine in the morning. Uh, that will be South African time, of course. Thanks a lot. Ciao. This is CliffCentral.com.